Let's read God's word together. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 7. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Thank you, Seth. So this is uh, message number one in a series, a three-message series um, next week. Um, Nathan and, and then Charlie are going to be bringing the other part of it, where we're going to park in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and uh, we are going to talk about grace gives. And you, if you've been around Ogletown for a while, you'll know that uh, giving is not something that we, we talk about all the time. Uh, you don't hear public calls every week. You won't um, hear, you know, hey, we have this need, give, give, give. Uh, it's just not something that, that we do here. Um, it's been a while probably since you've heard a message on giving. And, and so the question is, why, why have a three-message series on grace giving? Well, I'll tell you first of all, it's not because we're about to launch into a fundraiser. That's not why. Um, it's not because our, our budget is in the red. It's not. It's actually right on par. We're doing well. Ministry and missions are continuing, the staff is paid, the bills are paid in time and on full, um, so it's not that either. So why? Because we're going to find out that giving is very, very closely tied to that working of God's grace in our life, and that when we follow him in discipleship this way, that we actually have great joy, and I want that for you. And I want that for me. And so we're going to talk about grace gives. I'm going to put a definition on the uh, screen here. Goad. Not goal. Goad. Provoke or annoy someone. Or you're like, oh, that's my roommate. That's the, yeah. So as to stimulate some action or reaction. So the message today is entitled, Three Goads to Giving. Um, now you may say, that's an unusual word. Um, is that the word you're looking for? Well, I think so. So the man who wrote this epistle, 2 Corinthians, was the Apostle Paul. Now many of you may need no introduction to Paul, but uh, he was kind of a disciple who came late. Uh, he was a persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ. And when he was on the way to persecute yet more of Jesus' followers, Jesus himself, in an after-resurrection period, peered to him, struck him blind, and called him into his service. And he was zealous 
for the law, and he became zealous for Jesus Christ. And he was called as an apostle, a messenger to the non-Jewish peoples. He is writing to some of the non-Jewish peoples here in Corinth, located in modern Greece. And uh, Paul's relationship to this church that gathers in Corinth is, uh, shall we say, complicated. The first epistle, and we're in the second epistle, had been a difficult one. He had rebuked them. He had rebuked them for divisions, for harboring gross sin in their midst, for disordered worship, for gluttony, and more. He said things like this, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning for some have no knowledge of God and I say this to your shame. Ouch. This second epistle too was Paul writing to them and defending his ministry because there were people who were detracting from Paul's ministry. And it's only now in what we have as the eighth chapter that he raises this issue of giving after the air is a little bit cleared and he's been able to defend himself a little bit. But I want you to see how softly he approaches them in in verse 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. You can almost see him kind of handling them gently like, you guys have been doing so well. You've been doing so well, just do well in this also. Now, a major focus in Paul's missionary journeys is this relief effort for some poor saints in Jerusalem. You'll hear him talking to them a lot about it. Just as you read through the New Testament, you'll find Paul talking about this relief effort for for these poor people in Jerusalem because of the persecution, because that's where the persecution started. He had called the Corinthian church to take part of this all the way in the first epistle in the last chapter where he had said, um, when I arrive, I'll send to you those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. He'd been talking about this gift to to Jerusalem for a while and he had had started a collection among them and said, hey, when I come, I'll, I'll take it down with people you trust so that you can give to the poor people in Jerusalem. We find in verse 10 of this very same chapter that there's a whole year wasted. And so basically, they, it died out. They started and they didn't finish it. Now, what made him start talking about it again? He started talking about it because something happened 200 miles north of them in the region of Macedonia. There were these churches that began giving in a very, very surprising way. And so Paul says, okay, I'm going to talk to you guys about this too goad, to stimulate someone to action, and it may be annoying. So in Paul's account of the generosity of the Macedonians, we're going to find three goads, if I can say that, to giving. Goad number one, the grace of God. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, When you look at that verse, it kind of begs the question about, it's kind of in the passive there, and so who is actually doing the giving? Now, some versions actually make that call, and they say it's God who is giving the grace. But I appreciate that some versions leave it uh, in the passive voice, because I think that it is likely that it's the Macedonians who are doing the giving, and what they're giving is called the grace of God. 
Maybe that wasn't clear. Let me try it again. So what we see in verse 1 here is this. Outside this verse, you have a group of people who has received God's favor in the generous deed that was brought about by God in Christ Jesus. So they have been recipients of that favor. They have received this from God, but it didn't stop with them. That favor overflowed them, so the effects did not stay with them, and it went further beyond than their own status before God. So in that way, when they opened up their hearts and their wallets and they put it in the collection, what they actually gave was not money, but the grace of God. And it says that it was being given among all the churches of Macedonia. So you had an outbreak of this giving. Paul's summary is this. Up there, there is just the grace of God being given out among these people. It's just flying around. They open up this leather bag for the collection, and and the Macedonian churches are just dealing out the grace of God. File that under things that you didn't expect to see from the pulpit today. Um, But this isn't a strange concept for Paul. He talks about grace all the time. In fact, over the next three weeks, in these two chapters, he speaks of grace ten times, variously translated. I'm going to put a few of them up on the screen. Verse 1, the grace of God that's been given. Verse 4, the Macedonians begged for the favor or the grace to take part. Verse 6, Paul urges them to complete this act of grace. He doesn't say complete the offering. He says an act of grace. Verse 7, he urges them to excel in this act of grace. Now, it's very interesting that in all of this account, the word money never actually appears. Instead, we hear words like grace, privilege, partnership, sharing, service, ministry, love, and generosity. Why all the uh, euphemisms? Is it that money is just too crass to speak about? Or B, is it because for Paul, giving was never just about the money? He saw it as something entirely different. And I think that is it. Grace is, um, it, you know, so what is this goat for giving? Drink deeply of grace. You have to experience it so that you can freely give it out. And so, so what, is, what is grace? Grace is a generosity word. It, it lives in that space. It, it lives in the giving space, grace does. And here's one attempt to describe it. Grace is the generosity of God in giving freely, note that word, to those who as sinners deserve nothing except punishment. And so you look at a definition like that, and you see giving, and you see that it's volitional, it's freely, it's not grudgingly, it's freely in that it is abundant, and you see that there is some undeservedness being overcome. Think about the work of Jesus, which next week we're going to be looking at the example of Jesus. But you think about the work of Jesus. He gave his life. There's the giving part. He did so freely. He said, I lay down my life and I take it up again. He did it of his own volition. And it was an abundant, extravagant gift. 
And he did so in spite of our need. We were undeserving. And because of our need. You know, I was just listening to some of the songs that we were just singing about. We're always singing about an execution and blood and death. What, what is it with, with us Christians with blood and death and crosses and all this stuff? It's because it was on that cross that God's generosity and this free gift and this extravagant love was shown to us, and it is beautiful and overwhelming to us. The Macedonians' giving was cross-flavored. You see that they gave in sacrifice more than they had, in suffering. They gave to their own means and beyond their means. It was extravagant, and it was of their own accord. They begged to freely give it. And that's why in verse 1, when it says what they're giving out is not money for a collection, it's actually giving out the grace of God is because it's the same stuff. It was the grace that they had received from God, and when they started giving it out, they were giving out the same cross-flavored stuff. That's why you could call it the grace of God instead of a collection. And the Corinthian church is just being reminded of the natural flow of grace as a goad to generosity. The opposite of this is, is you could say, Ebenezer Scrooge, miserliness, stinginess, close-fistedness, a scarcity mentality. You know, there are those of you out here who have, actually, it's a spiritual gift of giving. Did you know that? Where it's just like, you get this. I mean, it, nothing could make you happier than to give to somebody. Like, you do it freely, it happens to you easily, but then there are probably the rest of us where it's a little bit heavier of a lift. And, and we think about it in terms of loss, So what kind of logic are we going through when we say, no, I'm not going to open up my hands and my wallet. I'm going to keep this for myself. Well, when I have that kind of logic, we may say they they don't deserve it. I don't think this is a good cause. Um, But here's here's probably where I'm at most of the time. I might need it. And, And I overestimate what my needs are someday. And so I withhold because I think like I am going to need this. And then I overestimate what I'm going to need. Anytime I have a stingy logic, it's not so much a resource problem. It's a grace problem. It means that my understanding of what has been given to me is faulty. And I don't need to go work on giving. I need to go fill myself up with a realization of God's grace in my life so that it begins to overflow. And what comes from me is more grace. Go number two, the example of others. We want you to know, brothers. Now, this is not a random bit of gossip for Paul. Hey, you just wouldn't believe what's happening up there. Um, isn't that cool? No, it's not just a random bit of gossip. Um, he's got a reason. He's saying, this is worth your notice. I want you to do the same. This is an example for you. So who were these people? the Corinthian church and the Macedonians. Um, As I had mentioned earlier, they're both in Greece. Uh, Corinth was in the south in an area called Achaia. It's kind of below the Aegean Sea. And uh, the Macedonian churches, which is now modern Greece as well, were some of the churches that as you're reading the New Testament, you'll hear about them, the Bereans and the Thessalonians. Um, And uh, in Philippi, they're about 200 miles north. 
And uh, it says that they were in extreme poverty. Well, it's not that it was a poor region. It was actually a very rich region. Uh, Mining, lumber, agriculture. What was probably happening to these folks is that they were getting locked out of the guilds because of their faith. And so they were in extreme poverty. And so Paul says to the Corinthian church, let me tell you about a story that's happening about 200 miles north of you across the sea. And it's worth us reading verses 2 through 4. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So here's the story that we hear from this. Despite severe suffering, in poverty, this group, the Macedonians, acted by giving to the needy Christians in Jerusalem with a wealth of generosity, and they did so with joy. And they took the initiative, and they did more than could be expected, and they counted it a privilege to join Paul in this ministry. Now, there's a lot there. So a few notes on this. It's a bit of a grab bag, no logical order here, but I just want to like notice, what am I seeing in these verses? I'm seeing a number of things that define what grace giving looks like. So we're talking about grace gives. What does grace giving look like? Not under compulsion, but grace giving. Number one, it's not dependent upon circumstances. They didn't give them as an excuse, like, because I'm under affliction and because I'm poor, I can't do this. They're, it was independent of circumstances. And notice that God's grace didn't remove their circumstances. It didn't stop them from being in poverty. It didn't stop their affliction. It was giving within this. But what God's grace did do is it opened up their hearts and it opened up their wallets. Number two, it's not about a percentage or a specific amount. They gave what they were able and beyond what they were able. So if there's any sort of competition in giving, I mean, think about our vacation Bible school, like we always have boys versus girls and bring your pennies and so forth. And it's great fun and it goes to a great cause and everything. But really what we ought to be competing in is not amounts, but willingness and joy. We ought to be a church that's characterized by a competition, Not for how much we give, but joy in giving and willingness to give. That's what we're competing in. Third, grace giving is gospel logic. You could look at a uh, formula here. Affliction plus joy plus poverty equals wealth. God thinks of wealth very differently than we do. You know, if we were going to look at one of the, uh, you know, AI analyzers, you know, chat GPT and say, hey, tell me the secret of wealth. This is not the formula that would come out of it, right? Uh, Spiritual wealth, it's kind of an ironic thing here. Spiritual wealth can be wrapped up in rags. So somebody who has absolutely nothing could be incredibly wealthy. But on the other hand, spiritual poverty can be wrapped up in affluence. And generosity can actually deliver one from spiritual poverty. But that's the gospel. We have that 
Jesus, like these Macedonians, endured the cross. He too was in suffering and affliction. He did it for the joy that was set before him, and he became poor. And in this, he overflowed with wealth so that through his sacrifice, we who were poor might become rich. Four, grace-giving is an extraordinary privilege. They were begging for Paul to give them grace, for them to have the favor. It's kind of the opposite would be us thinking that we are doing the favor. And, and so often with giving, I think in terms of loss, like what this is going to cost me, how much I will miss those resources, uh, instead of counting it an extraordinary privilege and begging to join. Five, it's a way to join in ministry. So Paul is talking to the Corinthians that they're, they're not real sure that they want everything that Paul is, and he is trying to persuade them that, that he, they owe him their lives in the gospel. And, uh, and so with them saying, like, I'm not going to take part of this, this offering and resisting it is basically saying, Paul, we do not take your view on things either. But as opposed to the Macedonians, they were, they were saying, Paul, we want to join you in this relief ministry. We will do so. And uh, they were poor, yet they were begging. The Corinthians needed to be goaded, and they were doing financially well. And Paul says, that's just a little bit shameful. But it's a way that we can join in the ministry. A lot of times you'll hear the old you know, Christian idea that, that missions is, is pray, give, and go. Like everybody is on mission, right? We, we've heard this before. Uh, if you're not going across the sea to share the good news, then you're giving. And it's the same idea here. Then six, grace giving dispenses God's favor. Now that's actually from an old reformer named um, John Calvin where he said, grace is dispensing God's favor. Generosity is. You remember in verse 1 how the grace of God was being dispensed among the church. It filled them up, it overflowed, and what came out of them was more grace. We saw it again in verse 4. They're just begging for the favor or the grace to allow God's grace to flow. You know, really, this is uh, using an example as an application or a go to giving. That's a little bit gutsy for Paul, if you think about it. Uh, if we had a if we had a missionary standing up here today and and he began to tell us how we have fallen short and our poorer brothers and sisters across the sea are excelling in giving into something that we ought to be obligated to give to as well, we would kind of get a little bit uncomfortable. We'd say that was kind of a, an abuse of abuse of uh, your your time up here. You know, as a church, what we can do is immediately begin to compete, not in amounts, but in this arena of willingness to give and joy to do so. And when we see an inspiring example, especially from maybe our brothers and sisters in Christ in developing nations, we ought to see their generosity, and that ought to indeed be noted and ought to move us. Go number three. The act of dedication. Paul says, and this giving, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. 
you know, I could have listed that as another aspect of the Macedonian story, but, but Paul kind of marks it out as something very important. He, he, he sets it off with a conjunction, and he's going to make a suggestion. He's going to make the suggestion that everything that came before, this, this, this generosity that is flowing forth from the Macedonian churches can be explained by this right here, that they first gave themselves to God and then by the will of God to us. The uh, translation, the message, picks up on this, and, and I really, really like it. So it reads, what explains it, their giving, their generosity, was that they had first given themselves unreservedly to God and to us. The other giving simply flowed out of the purposes of God working in their lives. So what explains this explosion of generosity that doesn't make sense, this crazy gospel giving? It's because they had dedicated themselves to God. You know, and really, if you don't start with dedicating yourselves to God, any call for giving is just going to annoy you. It'll be a true goad. It'll be just like, this is annoying to me. So here's how it started. Number one, they dedicated themselves to God unreservedly. Would it be kind of cool to wake up every day and say, God, I give myself to you. I'm your servant. Like, whatever you want me to do, you show me today through your Holy Spirit, and I will do it. That would be a great way to wake up in the morning. Say, blessed be the name of God. Thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you that you gave me breath. And God, I'm your servant. I will do whatever you say that I should do. So number one, dedicate yourselves to God if you want to give this way. And then second, be sensitive to his will. The verse says, then by the will of God, or allow the giving to flow out of the purposes at work in my life. You say, hmm, that sounds a little bit subjective. You're like, how do, you, how do you know, like, what the will of God is? Sometimes scripture speaks of the will of God as, as try to discern the will of God. You know, there's a little bit of testing. Like, is this a something that I should do? Is this something that I should work through? Um, then by the will of God. You know, it, it's really wonderful to live daily saying, what do you have for me, God? I'm your servant. Do with me what you want. What spirit? You want me to, to, to love that person by giving this? <laughs> okay. Uh, I, am your, I am your servant. You know, I would almost welcome an apostle-like figure, you know, to whom I owe my salvation, coming and saying, Evan, Collier, this is what you should give to. This is the relief effort of the century, and if you love me as a spiritual father, you will join me in this. Boy, wouldn't that be kind of relieving, <laughs> you know, to have that much certainty? But, I mean, as it is, the world has gotten flat. Like, we are aware of so many needs that it can be overwhelming. We almost get numbed to it. You can't even go to a concert without it being sponsored by some group that says our group is the group that you should give to. Uh, well, I can't answer the question for you, and I shouldn't answer the question for you. But what I can do, and what you can do, is number one, dedicate yourself to God. Just like Mary, she says, I am, I am the, the handmaiden of the Lord. Be it to me according to your word. That can be our stance constantly. God, be it to me according to your word. I am your servant. I am ready to do whatever. And then be sensitive to the will of God. Um, 
You're like, well, but how do you know? Guys, that's the Holy Spirit. You know, I was, one of the things that, when I, when I wrote Curtis and said, here's what your teaching ministry to me meant, one of the things that I remembered was a message that said, um, what is in my hand? What is in my hand? What resources do I have? And who is before me? Like, so when you're, when you're kind of lost with, like, how do I determine who do I, I serve? What's in your hand? What are your resources? And who is before me? And then say, God, what would you do with me in this situation? That we can do. So in conclusion, verse 7, this is what Paul is driving toward. As you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. You know, as a church, I'm so grateful. Like, we have done so well in so many things. Even this week, I've seen people clinging to their faith through great, great suffering. And I'm like, that is good. Do that. I hope that you with your speech have have been edifying and building up this week. I know this morning, people were speaking to each other in the halls and encouraging one another, and and the word of God was being taught, uh, excelling in knowledge, in earnestness, like we, we want to please God. And then he says, in our love in our love for you. He's saying, oh yeah, you, you don't ever only excel in these virtues. You excel in my love for you. I love you so much. And then he says, in grace giving, excel in this too. And that's my prayer for me, and that's my prayer for you. Let's pray. Father, so often we are um, spiritual paupers where we are stingy and we don't think about the abundance of what you poured out on us in Jesus Christ. And so we, we hoard. But God, I pray that you would break something loose here in our church as well, that needs would be met to individuals and uh, to our community and to our church's reach because you've gotten a hold of us, and we realize it's not a resource issue. It's a grace issue. Or thank you for the way that your word prompts us, encourages us, uh, prods us, and sometimes even goes us. I pray that we'd be sensitive to it today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.